welcome to Seeking Rents, the podcast. I'm your host, Jason Garcia, the publisher of Seeking Rents, a newsletter where we explore the ways businesses and other special interests bend the laws in their favor in Florida. This is episode 19. The name Seeking Rents comes from a term in economics called rent-seeking. And rent-seeking is what's happening when someone with lots of wealth and influence, like a billionaire or a big corporation, uses their influence to get politicians to change laws in a way that allows them to capture even more wealth for themselves at the expense of somebody else. A classic example of rent-seeking happens when a company spends thousands of dollars on campaign contributions for state lawmakers and then lobbies those same lawmakers to pass a tax break that saves the company millions of dollars, all while leaving it to the rest of us to make up for the lost tax revenue, either by paying higher taxes ourselves or accepting poorer quality services from our governments. But rent-seeking is often more subtle than a straight subsidy like that. Sometimes it comes in the form of sweet-talking governments into signing off on big corporate mergers that create near-monopolies. Other times, it's creating protectionist regulations that make it harder for new competitors to get started. And sometimes it's even lobbying for excessively harsh criminal punishment laws, like laws that impose long prison sentences on things like protests or petty theft. And that's the sort of rent-seeking we're going to be talking about today. Specifically, we're going to take a look at some self-interested and short-sighted lobbying by a front group for big box stores like Walmart, Target, and Home Depot. Lobbying that has served to protect their corporate profits at the expense of big bipartisan reforms that would genuinely help us all. We'll get into detail in just a bit, but first a couple of quick announcements. First, the next session of the Florida legislature begins one month from now. It's supposed to run for 60 days from January 9th to March 8th. My plan is to get this podcast back onto a more regular rotation while session is in, although I may play around with the format a bit, like shorter updates about some of the bills that maybe aren't getting the attention they should. But I'd love to hear from listeners, too. If you've got any thoughts about how you'd like to see this podcast cover the session, please reach out. You can find my email address in the show notes. And as always, if you haven't already, please make sure to subscribe to Seeking Rents, the newsletter. We've had a bunch of interesting and meaty stories since the last podcast from a deep dive into the billionaire back group trying to weaken Florida's child labor laws, to behind-the-scenes maneuvering in the DeSantis administration, to chaos and cronyism inside the new DeSantis-controlled board that oversees Walt Disney World. You can subscribe for free, but you can also choose to pay for a subscription. Please do if you can afford it. Paid subscriptions help us pay for reporting expenses, like the cost of public records requests that end up leading to so many of our stories. The easiest way to find us is at SeekingRentsFL.com. Thanks so much for your support. Okay, so I want to start today's story by taking us back to the last session of the legislature, which ended back in May, and to a little bill that would have made it just a bit easier to become a barber. It is surprisingly hard to become a barber in Florida. You can't just start cutting people's hair, no matter how good you might be at it. You're going to have to get a license from the state first. And that's going to take you at least four months. It's probably going to cost you thousands of dollars, too. This is what's known as an occupational license. Occupational licensing is a big issue in Florida, particularly in what are sometimes classified as lower-income professions. These are jobs that are important opportunities for economic mobility because they are reasonably attainable for folks starting out lower down the economic ladder. 
jobs like uh, hairstylists and manicurists, personal trainers and unarmed security guards, folks working in lawn care and carpentry, and barbers. In fact, the Institute for Justice, which is a conservative organization that lobbies states to roll back unnecessary occupational licensing laws, ranks Florida as the fifth most burdensome state in the country for people trying to break into these lower income professions. Now, I should note, there are good reasons to have some limited occupational licensing. It can help make jobs safer for workers or ensure better quality for consumers. But licensing laws have, generally speaking, gone way too far over the years. Too many requirements don't do a thing to ensure better safety or quality. But they do contribute to economic inequality. That's because excessive licensing laws make it harder for newcomers to enter a profession. That protects existing providers from competition, and that allows those providers to charge even higher prices. You know, the name of my newsletter and podcast, Seeking Rents, was actually inspired by a book I read a few years ago called The Captured Economy. It was written by a pair of economists, one liberal, one conservative, and it looked at all the ways rent-seeking is making inequality worse in this country. That book had an entire chapter devoted to occupational licensing. Another thing about these licensing laws is that the barriers to entry they pose are often virtually insurmountable to, histor to historically disenfranchised folks in society, like formerly incarcerated people trying to rebuild their lives after serving time for a crime. I'm going to throw another couple of stats out here now. A few years ago, Florida's Department of Corrections released just over 29,000 people from custody. More than one in every five of them were back in prison within three years. And reincarcerating just those reoffenders cost nearly $200 million a year. That's according to the Florida Policy Institute, a progressive organization that lobbies for criminal legal reform. So just to quickly recap, we've got two problems here. Excessive occupational licensing laws and a high rate of criminal recidivism. And these two problems are connected that's because the harder our laws make it for formerly incarcerated folks to find careers, the more likely they are to wind up reincarcerated. Sometimes the link is explicit, like when a license is denied to someone simply because they have a criminal record, even if their crime was nonviolent years in the past and totally unrelated to the profession they're trying to join now. But oftentimes it's implicit, like when someone just out of prison who is at one of the most economically precarious moments of their lives simply cannot afford to wait several months and spend thousands of dollars before they start making a living. And what makes this all especially absurd is that the Florida Department of Corrections actually offers all sorts of training programs itself. For example, barber training is offered inside at least three state prisons. Why on earth should people who go through those programs still have to jump through unnecessary licensing hoops once they get out? This is how the Institute for Justice, that conservative group that lobbies to reform occupational licensing laws, and the Florida Policy Institute, that progressive group that lobbies to reform criminal legal laws, ended up uniting this past year behind an idea they called limited barbering. This was a small idea, at least in the context of big economy and society-wide problems like occupational licensing and criminal legal reform. All it would have done was let people who want to become barbers start working more quickly and without having to spend a whole bunch of time and money up front. This wouldn't have been some wholesale deregulation of the barber industry or anything like that. 
Under this limited barbering bill, if you wanted to cut hair without a license of your own, you would still have had to find a job inside a licensed barber shop. And you wouldn't be allowed to do everything a full barber could do either. You couldn't use chemicals to dye a customer's hair, for instance, or shave a beard with a straight razor. So you probably wouldn't have been able to make as much as a fully licensed barber. But you could at least start working immediately and building a career for yourself. Maybe you'd even decide to get the full license a bit later on in life, too. This bill was bipartisan. The sponsor in the state house was a Democrat. The sponsor in the state Senate was a Republican. And yet it barely budged. This limited barbering bill only got one hearing in the state house and none at all in the Senate. Why? Well, one reason is that it was secretly opposed by one of the state's biggest business lobbying groups, an organization called the Florida Retail Federation. The Retail Fed is essentially a front group for a bunch of the state's biggest retail brands. Big box stores like Walmart, Home Depot, and Target, grocery and pharmacy chains like Walgreens, CVS, and Publix, and tourism giants like Disney and Universal. But the Retail Federation also represents for-profit beauty and cosmetology schools, some of which charge aspiring barbers nearly $20,000 in tuition. Now, the Retail Federation never said peep about this bill in public, but its lobbyists met with lawmakers in private. In fact, in a report to its members after the session ended, lobbyists for the Retail Federation said they, quote, engaged quickly after the limited barbering bill was filed, convincing state legislators to sit on the bill and let it die without much public debate. So here, Florida had a chance to pass some small but genuinely meaningful reform, something that would have helped people who get out of prison stay out of prison and maybe even help bring down the cost of a haircut a little bit. But it failed because lobbyists for big box stores and beauty schools didn't like it. Now, it would be one thing if all the Florida Retail Federation was doing was lobbying against bills that help keep people out of prison. But that's not all the Retail Fed is doing. This front group for Walmart, Target, and Home Depot is also lobbying for bills that put more people in prison. For an example of this, we're going to drop back a year to 2022 when the Retail Fed convinced the Florida legislature to pass a bill allowing small-time shoplifters to be punished with long prison sentences. It involves a certain type of criminal charge known as retail theft. There are some nuances, but basically, retail theft is kind of like a higher charge that prosecutors can throw at someone accused of shoplifting from a store. It can turn what might otherwise be a petty theft misdemeanor carrying a sentence of one year or less into a felony charge with a potential prison sentence of five years or more. That's a big deal because felonies and the longer prison sentences that come with them are generally supposed to be reserved for violent crimes. And shoplifting in and of itself is obviously not a violent crime. Now, there are a few important thresholds that a petty theft has to reach before it can turn into retail theft. One of those used to involve the amount of merchandise that was stolen. It used to be that prosecutors could only charge someone with retail theft if they were accused of stealing at least $750 worth of stuff. At least that was the case until 2022, when the Florida Retail Federation convinced the legislature and Governor Ron DeSantis to pass a bill that eliminated that $750 threshold entirely, giving prosecutors the power to bring felony charges even in tiny cases of shoplifting. Under that bill, someone who stole a candy bar and a Coke a few times could now be thrown in prison for five years. 
And if they stole a few more candy bars, they could be sent away for 15 years. That is crazy. And it's even crazier when you learn that just three years earlier, in 2019, the Florida legislature and Ron DeSantis had just raised that threshold from $300 to $750. It was part of a sweeping criminal legal reform package that was designed to reduce the number of people being unnecessarily incarcerated for nonviolent crimes, crimes that are so often driven by economic desperation rather than evil intent. That bill had passed the legislature with overwhelming support in both political parties. It just might have been the most bipartisan moment of Ron DeSantis' time as Florida governor. And just three years later, lobbyists for Walmart and Target talked them into undoing it. Now, retail federation lobbyists kept insisting they were just trying to crack down on organized crime, masterminds running these sophisticated operations, boosting big ticket items like phones and computers. But this bill went way beyond that. Now, I do want to take a moment here because I'm going to guess there may be some people listening to this who are thinking, who the hell cares? Walmart and Target aren't the bad guys here. The people who are doing the stealing are. You don't want to go to prison for five years for stealing a few sandwiches? Then don't steal the damn sandwiches. Simple as that. The thing is, it is not as simple as that. First, longer sentences and harsher penalties do very little to deter crime. The research on this is overwhelming at this point. But longer and harsher penalties do make some of us less safe and cost all of us a lot of money. For instance, after decades of imposing longer prison sentences and criminalizing more behavior, Florida's prisons are overcrowded, understaffed, and falling apart. Just last month, auditors hired to assess the state of Florida's prisons presented their findings to the Florida Senate, and those findings were grim. Nearly one-third of corrections officers leave their jobs every year, leaving some prisons with more than half of their positions empty. That, of course, makes things much more dangerous for the guards who remain. At the same time, these auditors forecast that Florida will need to spend as much as $12 billion over the next 20 years just to repair crumbling facilities and keep up with projected prison population growth. That's twice as much money as it costs to build a new high-speed train between Miami and Orlando. By the way, this is another reason why it's so important to fairly tax big corporations like Target, since they rely so heavily on taxpayer-funded police, prosecutors, and prisons to protect their business. And hey, wouldn't you know it, Target is one of the most notorious abusers of loopholes in Florida's corporate income tax. Loopholes that the Florida legislature refuses to close partly because lobbyists for companies like Target keep lobbying against it. But while threatening longer prison sentences doesn't keep people from committing crimes, do you know what can? Helping people achieve economic stability for themselves and their families. Which, again, was exactly the point of that limited barbering bill, the one the Florida Retail Federation lobbied against. I should also note that these kind of bills aren't just isolated to Florida either. We're seeing a coordinated effort by corporations to introduce these harsher penalties in state capitals across the country. And of course, these same corporations are evading their taxes and helping drive up inflation through profiteering, which then makes these theft thresholds even harsher. It's like one ugly rent-seeking cycle. Okay, so you might be asking yourself why I'm bringing up these old bills now. This all already happened. It's old news. But we're about to go through this exact same cycle 
all over again. Like I mentioned at the top of the show, the next session of the Florida legislature starts one month from now, and the Florida Retail Federation is already pushing a new bill that would throw even more people in prison for shoplifting. This year's bill would let prosecutors bring felony charges in even tinier cases of shoplifting. Versus, I mentioned earlier that there are a few thresholds that have to be hit before a prosecutor can turn misdemeanor petty theft into felony retail theft, which, again, means someone could suddenly be looking at five years or more in prison. Well, one way a prosecutor can invoke retail theft is if someone shoplifts at least five times in one month and they take at least 10 items from at least two different stores. And remember, it doesn't matter anymore how small or cheap that stolen merchandise is. But this new legislation would dramatically lower two of those thresholds. Specifically, it would allow someone to be charged with felony retail theft if they shoplift just three times over the course of an entire year. That's not all. It would also allow retail theft to be charged if someone commits a single theft, but as part of a group of at least five people. And the prison sentence would get even longer, up to 15 years, if that person encouraged anyone else to join in on social media. Legislation like this is not based on real data. In fact, the Marshall Project, a national nonpartisan organization that advocates for criminal legal reform, recently reported that many of the stores lobbying for these stronger retail theft laws are actually walking back exaggerated claims about theft problems. This new bill is pretty clearly inspired by the so-called flash mob thefts that have gotten a lot of attention recently on cable television. Not because they happen very often, which they don't, but because video of them tends to go viral. But really, what are we doing here? We're going to send a kid who makes a dumb decision on TikTok to prison for 15 years? One other point about this. I can already hear retail federation lobbyists and their friends in the Florida legislature trying to gaslight people into thinking that this concern is crazy, that no prosecutor is going to try sending a kid who made a silly mistake to prison for more than a decade. Prosecutors have discretion, they'll argue, and of course they'll use it. Oh, really? Because one of the things that's become crystal clear in the last year in Florida is that Governor Ron DeSantis will remove local prosecutors from office if they use their discretion in a way he doesn't like. And neither the legislature nor the courts have been willing to stop him, at least not so far. So I'm sorry, but Florida lawmakers do not get to help Ron DeSantis weaken our state's system of checks and balances and then tell people that they can still trust those checks and balances to work while they try to do yet another favor for Walmart. Here's a different idea. How about instead of helping the Florida Retail Federation put more kids in prison, we instead help the people coming out of prison get back on their feet so they can provide for themselves and their families, and we can stop paying to incarcerate them. Because remember that bipartisan limited barbering bill we talked about earlier? It's back this session too, and it's bipartisan again. We should pass it. But we should also go a lot further than that. Just to give you one more example. There's another bill that would stop the licensing boards that serve as gatekeepers for barbers and hairstylists from using old crimes as an excuse to keep newcomers out of their professions. Specifically, this bill would forbid these licensing boards from denying someone a license solely because they once committed a crime many years ago. Just as importantly, the bill would also require these licensing boards to recognize the industry training programs that are provided in Florida's prisons. This is another common sense bill. And it also has lots of support from both Republicans and Democrats. 
Lawmakers have already started holding preliminary committee hearings ahead of the 2024 session. And this Barber licensing bill has already passed two of those committees. The votes were unanimous both times. So let's pass that bill this session too. And then let's do even more, a lot more, to roll back unnecessary licensing laws and self-defeating criminal punishment laws. Let's get more competition into the marketplace and bring down prices for consumers, all while helping formerly incarcerated folks get back on their feet and stay formerly incarcerated. And let's not let a bunch of rent-seeking retail lobbyists stand in our way. All right, let's leave it there. But I'll post a bunch of links in the show notes, including all the bills I mentioned here, for anyone who wants to read even more. And like I said earlier, now that session is really coming, look for this podcast to start showing back up in your feed again. I'm assuming you've uh, signed up on Apple or Spotify, which if you haven't, I'm really not sure what you're waiting for. Don't you want to hear more about occupational licensing laws? As always, please feel free to reach out with any questions, comments, or feedback. And again, feel free to make suggestions about how this podcast could be more interesting or helpful during the session. Opening day is January 9th. That's exactly one month from today. Lastly, don't forget to sign up for the newsletter. Easiest way to find us is at seekingrentsfl.com. Subscriptions are free, but please consider paying for one if you can afford it. All right, that'll do it for now. Thanks for listening, everybody. See you soon.